how good to worship together today and celebrate what God has done and celebrate what God is going to do. You know, we're celebrating new leaders and new elders. Um, but now as we are a church genuinely of six locations, it's important that we understand how we're going to navigate the way forward together. And so today we want to cast our eyes towards the future and say, Lord, where are you leading us? And we're going to give you an update on what that looks like. Mm. As we've been preparing for this message today, um, simultaneously God laid on each of our hearts the same passage of scripture. And so we really felt that that was something that the Lord wants to speak through to us as a church today. And so we're going to be looking at um, a passage about Elijah in 1 Kings 18 verses 41 to 45. But before we read it, I just want to give you a bit of context and set the scene. So the king of Israel is Ahab and Ahab is the most evil king that Israel have had up to this point. In fact, um, it says in 1 Kings 16 that he did more to arouse the anger of the Lord than any of the kings of Israel before him. He'd set up an altar to Baal and he was not a good king. And Elijah, who was the only prophet at this time, had declared that there would be no rain or dew until he gave the word. And so there was a severe drought and famine in the land. And God had told Elijah to confront King Ahab and the prophets of Baal. And this may be a familiar story to you, but to show them who God really was. And so he had the prophets of Baal set up a bull and an altar and then they were to call out to Baal for him to um, light the altar. And so they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and unsurprisingly nothing happened. And then Elijah set up an altar to the Lord and he prayed and God sent fire down and the altar and the sacrifice was burnt up. And it says um, that when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. This was a powerful demonstration of God's power and that he was the true God. And that's what leads us into today's passage. So Israel are experiencing severe drought. They've just seen God move powerfully. And so let's read from 1 Kings 18, 41 to 45. And it says this. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go and look out towards the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. And like we've just heard, um, God has been using Elijah all along, not just in these verses that we've read here, but um, God uses Elijah powerfully. And the Bible is full of stories of God using ordinary people in extraordinary ways. And in fact, 
our whole of human history and our lives are full of stories of God using ordinary people in extraordinary ways. And he has placed his church on this earth. And he, it's through his church that he is accomplishing his purposes. And so we're celebrating that this year, right? We're celebrating that when we gathered together in May, we were believing for God to provide. We were believing for God to provide leaders for our locations in a way that we couldn't see how that was possible yet. And yet today we're commissioning location pastors for three of our locations. You know, today is a testimony to God's power and his faithfulness um, to move through his people. Yeah, very good. And so today, in response to that passage, there's two things we want to look at, two sort of broad sections to this message. One is that Elijah was available. And the second we'll come to later on is that Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed. As Jenny says, God loves to work through his people. And so we have to make ourselves available to what God wants to do in our city. And the six locations, um, trying to go on a journey together and we pray more locations in future, we have to be crystal clear on our mission and vision so that each of us can express that in our local communities. And so what's a mission? A mission statement is a timeless purpose. It's throughout all of time, this is what we are going to be about. Ours is based around, you know, the Great Commission and it has been for the last, you know, 15 years or so. It is helping people become total followers of Jesus Christ. It's not changing. It is staying the same. The challenge is that there are different ways that you can pursue that mission, that timeless purpose. There are different ways it can look and different um, different needs in terms of the way it's going to look at a particular time. And so that's where a vision statement comes in. It is, what's our pursuit of the mission going to look like in the next three to five years? And we've had a vision statement for the last six or seven years that we want to see 1% of unchurched Wellington become baptized followers of Jesus. It's served us well. It's been a, a clear goal, okay? It's sort of directed our um, culture as a church. It's led us on a journey of multi-site. And yet right now we also have to say that vision was sort of had a, a five-year sort of shelf life and we didn't really get anywhere near it. And also it's important for us to um, to remember that a lot has happened in the last six or seven years. Um, COVID's happened. We've transitioned to new leadership. We've multiplied into, into um, six locations. And also there's a real sense for us that multiplication is to characterize us as we go forward. And so we think it's time for a new vision. Mm -hmm. And we've been praying as uh, elders and, and leaders. We had leadership team together. We prayed and talked and we've come up with an idea of where we believe God is leading us in the next three to five years, the way we're going to pursue the mission together. And it's simply this. We see a disciple making movement transforming Wellington and the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. A disciple making movement transforming Wellington and the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Jenny and I just in this section about putting ourselves, making ourselves available to God, we just want to unpack some parts of what that vision looks like. Number one, disciple making is core to that vision. And over recent years, we've lacked a shared understanding of what disciple making looks like. If I'd have asked you what discipleship at the street looks like, we'd have come up with almost as many answers as people. And so what we've worked really hard on this year is to come up with a shared understanding of the way we're going about discipleship as a church. And it breaks down into four simple words and statements. I want to give you a brief introduction to those today so that as you hear them in life groups and as you hear them in one-to-one -one catch them and you hear them 
them are spoken about in our locations, you will know what we're talking about and as we learn more about what these look like together. And they're based around the great commandments, love God and love people, and the great commission, go and make disciples of nations. So here's word number one, upwards. We love the Lord. We love the Lord. We want to be a church growing in word and worship and prayer. But we want to be growing not just sort of in information or in practice, but the goal of it is that we would be a people who, who fulfill that greatest commandment that Jesus gave. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. The goal is we would love him so much that we'd be willing to obey him, whatever he calls us to do. So that's the first one, upwards. We love the Lord. The second one is inwards. It's the second great commandment. It's the completion of the first. Love God and love people. And Jesus made this paramount for us as a church when he said in John 13, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Loving one another is to be the hallmark of Christian community. And so that's why we made that such an important part of the way we want to make disciples. Inwards, we love one another. Then you come to outwards. It's not just good enough us loving God and loving one another. That could become quite a sort of holy huddle. No, that we've been given this incredible message that changes lives. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is the power of God for the salvation of, every, of, of everyone who believes. And so outwards, this idea that we love the lost has to be central to the way we make disciples. It's the sort of thing that goes cold so quickly. And so we have to keep our foot to the floor on that one, that we're an outwards church. We love the lost. But finally, if we did just those things, there is a risk that we're just producing experienced Christians. But we believe, and if you go back to together earlier in the year, we believe that what God has called us to is a movement of disciple makers, something that begins with one or two or a hundreds, but, but goes out, is able to go out across, across the world. And so we have this fourth aspect, which is that we, um, is onwards. We multiply. Onwards, we multiply. And there's a real tension here. You know, um, we were on holiday a few years ago and we are walking around a campsite. I was walking around a campsite with my daughter, Jess, and she goes, oh, dad, can we get that style of new tent? It's awesome. It's inflatable, so quick to put up. And I said, Jess, why would we spend a lot of money on a big family tent right now? It won't be long before you girls leave home. Mm. And she was sort of surprised by that. But actually, there's a bit weird if kids get to their 60s and they're still living at home, right? And there's a risk for us that if we're just about, you know, love God, love people and share the gospel, there's a risk that we sort of become just this group of experienced Christians, 60-year-old children that have never left home. And when our girls come to leave home, there will be a great joy and also there will be great pain. The, the, there's, there's change happening. But actually, inbuilt in families is this idea of multiplication, this idea that, that children are going to be raised up so that they can start new family units of their own. This multiplication principle is embedded in families, and it is the same in church. That as we grow up as followers of Jesus, as individuals, we're supposed to see that replicated in others as life groups grow. They're not just to grow, you know, in, in number, but as they grow, that people are uh, to be equipped to be sent out to start new life groups because more people need to hear about Jesus. And our dream when it comes to our locations, 
is that there would be leaders being raised up and then there might be prayer meetings where it's like we just feel God calling us to this area where there isn't a church. We feel God calling us to this dark area of our nation or this dark area of the world. And as we stand and watch people leave, as we pray people out of our locations, as we as we say farewell to people at airports, there's going to be some painful times. But I want to encourage us that those will be great times of joy as well, because we're experiencing what it's like to multiply. We're experiencing what it's like to do what God has called us to do. And so we wanted to make multi uh, onwards this we multiply aspect core to our framework of disciple making. So it's just a brief introduction, but to let you know what will be coming down the line. Yeah. Our vision is also about making a difference with the gospel. And we know that it's Jesus and the gospel that transforms lives. Each of us can testify to that. As we push into this vision that we believe God has given us, we're going to see transformation. As people begin to follow Jesus, not only will they be transformed, but there's an expectation that the places around them, the suburbs where they live, the places where they work will be transformed too. There's these really cool verses in Acts 19, verses 18 to 20. It says, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And as we step into the future reality that God has for us, we can expect to see our friends, family, neighbours, colleagues transformed and therefore our suburbs and city changed. But this will not happen without us leaning in um, to what each of us is called to as part of this vision. The gospel is core, not only to everything we do corporately, but to everything that we do as individuals. You know, this year we're resettling two refugees into Wellington, which is such an incredible thing, but it's just two people. You know, CAP is a wonderful ministry and this year um, we are seeking to establish local leads in each of our locations to try and make that ministry as effective as it can be. But there is a limit to the impact of that ministry. But if every one of us... Yeah is active in sharing our lives and our faith with the people that God has put in our, in our lives then, um, and clearly demonstrating God's love and being courageous to share the message of Jesus with them. If each of us does that with only three people, let's just say, I don't know what that actual numbers are, but let's say there's 700 people in our church that take this on board and run with this. If 700 people impact three people in their lives, that's over 2,000 people impacted by the gospel just by each of us taking this mission seriously. And then the beauty of multiplication is as we walk with each of those people that's been impacted and we teach them to do the same, it's not long before that number becomes over 8,000. You see how multiplication works. You know, at, at, together earlier in the year, we introduced BLESS. You might remember we gave you bookmarks to take away. B was begin with prayer. L was listen. E was eat. S was serve. And then the last S was story, that as you do those things, you might get the opportunity to share the story of Jesus with the people in your life. I wonder how that's been going for you. I wonder 
if you started off enthusiastically and it's waned or whether you maybe you never started at all or maybe you're still going strong but I want to encourage you today to think about um, putting that in place into your life so that as each one of us takes responsibility for reaching the people that God has put in front of us that we would see God move powerfully and we would see people come to know him. It says in the Great Commission, um, to behold, I am with you always. And um, that word behold means to look and see, right? And so what it's saying is, look and see that the Lord is with you always. And that's our encouragement to you today, as you are looking to reach the people that God has put in front of you and around you, look and see where God is. Yeah. Look and see what he is already doing. And let's join with him in his work. Yeah. And so um, Elijah made himself available. And we're, we're saying today that the way we want to do that as a church is say we want to be crystal clear on mission and vision mm -hmm. uh, so that we as a church can position ourselves uh, close to and exactly like you were just saying at the end, Jenny, there about God is already at work. How do we go where God is, where he's already at work? But then we also want to say, OK, when we're there, how, what are the steps we can take? And we want to call out today that we believe the very first step for us to take in that space is to do what Elijah did and prayed. We're not passive in this space. We're going to lean in and we're going to pray. And so let's just look together at some of the things that characterize the way Elijah prayed. And the first thing I want you to see is that Elijah's prayers were big. He wasn't just praying for his friends. He wasn't just praying for his own life. The way Elijah prayed shaped a nation. God wanted to work in a nation. And Elijah, um, Elijah participated in that through prayer. And we need to do the same. This is absolutely critical for us. Mm. One of the things that Jenny and I have become so aware as we talk to Christian leaders around the country is there is something distinctive about Wellington. It is a deeply dark place spiritually. There are Christian leaders around the country that avoid staying overnight in the CBD when they're in town because of how it affects their dreams, how it affects their sleep. There are people who, uh, Christian leaders who told us when they drive down the hill towards the city, uh, down Noronga Gorge, they feel the darkness, they feel the weight immediately come. You know, Ginny and my experience over the last couple of years in taking over as senior leaders, I can say that this, I was sort of unaware of this. Mm. And yet the impact it has had on my own sort of mental health and things like that has been ridiculous. And it wasn't until the last week or so that I suddenly realized, put those two together and realized there is, we, are, we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. Did you know that Wellington is known as the graveyard of pastors? Did you know that? I just want to let you know this, that this is the context within which we carry out the, the mission and vision that God has called us. And if we do not pray big city shaping and nation shaping prayers, all of this stuff around mission and vision may as well not happen. We won't even get started. Because there is something about Wellington that needs to be broken. We were in a prayer meeting recently and I felt God just lay on my heart. Um, Psalm 24, you know, if, if you know your Bibles, you'll know it. You can read it for yourself. But this idea of be lifted up, you ancient gaze, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory came in. And just the picture I felt God give me was that in Wellington, it's like these big spiritual doors have been put up. I don't know when, I don't know by who, I don't know how, but there is this sense in which these doors have been put up that it's like Jesus is no longer welcome. Mm. 
There are suburbs that have no churches, no thriving churches in them. And I, I just believe that it's, the, that it's the time for us as a church to say, be lifted up, you ancient doors. Be lifted up, open up, that the King of glory may come into our city again. We, we live in the capital. It is the epicenter of the secular liberal narrative that we see in our city. It, 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 it sort of goes out like ripples across our nation. And it's time for us to stand as a church and say, we're going to pray those strongholds away. We're going to call on the name of Jesus to break the power of darkness, that the work of God might be accomplished again in our city. And so we're going to, you know, together we're going to begin today in prayer, but we're also calling each of our location pastors to make a prayer core to where we go from here as a church. And so in, the lo- in your locations in the coming weeks, be listening out for ways to get involved corporately mm. in this growing culture of prayer. Mm. But Elijah didn't just pray a big prayer. He, his prayer was wholehearted. Mm. It says in 1 Kings 18, 42, like we already read, Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. It was a wholehearted prayer. I wonder if you've ever seen a child who is desperate to get something from their parents. There's um, physical involved, like they're often jumping. Maybe they're raising their voices. Maybe they're tugging on clothing. But a child, when they want something from their parents, does everything they possibly can to communicate to their parents, I want this, I need this, please give it to me. And I wonder how often we pray like that. Mm. I wonder how often we go to our Heavenly Father in that wholehearted way where we say, please, God, would you do this? And when I think of what is most important, is there anything more important than people in our lives coming to know Jesus? And so... Um, there was nothing half-hearted in Elijah's prayer. He climbed to the top of a mountain. He bent down and put his face between his knees. Now, I'm not saying that's the only way to pray. There's lots of ways to pray, right? We can pray quietly. We can pray contemplatively. There's so many ways to pray. And all of those ways are good. But if we are never desperate before God for the things that we long to see him do, then I think there's something missing in the way that we're praying. So what a powerful posture. Elijah knelt down to the ground, put his face between his knees. It communicates submission to God, but it also communicates desperation. And so I wonder, when was the last time you prayed for your friends or your family like that? When was the last time you pleaded with God, please, God, would you move? Would you move in our city? Would you move in our nation? And we must be praying like this, not occasionally, not just when we gather it together, but regularly yeah. in our lives. Yeah, and it's noticeable that Elijah didn't just sort of um, begin like that, but he continued like that. He persisted until the answer came. You know, verse 43 says, go and look to the sea, he, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There's, there is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Mm-hmm go back until he saw a glimpse that something had changed and then his expectation is you know rain is coming elijah was persistent it says seven times seven in the bible is this idea of completion it's like he just he played the complete amount of times he prayed until something happened you know are we persistent in our prayers let me just read you this quote from jacob reese it says look at the stone cutter hammering away at his rock perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it 
Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not the last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. Jesus makes so clear in the Gospels that there are things that God will not do unless we call upon him to do it in prayer. And so we must do it, but it's important that we don't just begin wholeheartedly and begin with big prayers, but that we persist until something happens. And I'll be honest, you know, my persistence by myself is, you know, will wane. But there's something about in marriages, there's something about in households, there's something about in flats, there's something about in groups of people coming together to encourage one another. I know you want to give up right now. I know you're struggling, but come along. Let's keep going. Let's be a church that not just begins with a hiss and a roar, but actually persists until God changes something. And finally, Elijah's prayer was faith-filled. Um, before Elijah even started praying, he said to Ahab in verse 41, go eat and drink for there is the sound of a heavy rain. There was no rain. Yeah. <laughs> he hadn't even seen a cloud yet. And yet he was calling out that rain was coming. Yeah. And Jesus told us that the harvest is plentiful and he sent us out to go into the harvest field. Yeah. And so when we're praying for lost people to be saved, I believe he's calling us to pray with eyes of faith. Yeah. He's calling us to pray, believing that there is a harvest field of people ready to come to know him, to call out to God with what he has said to be true, even if we don't see it yet. And so can we be a people who declare that the rain is coming yeah. and then pray until we see it come?